Welcome to Grace Community Church On Demand, the weekly podcast from the Sunday services at Grace Community Church in Rupert, Idaho. Here at Grace, we believe in building the kingdom of God one person at a time. We're passionate about loving God, loving people, and following Jesus. Let's get into this week's message with Pastor Travis Turner. So with no further ado, we're going to dive into God's Word. Lord, we thank you for today. We just ask that your Word will do what you promised it will do, that is hit the mark. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Prepare our hearts that we may receive and grow and be challenged and changed from it. Amen, amen. So Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 1. Go ahead and turn your Bibles there real quick. I love the Bible because it is filled with multiple layers. How many of you know that even if you study your Bible 24 hours a day for the rest of your life, you're never going to get to a point in a place where you've got it all figured out? Why? Because there's multiple layers, and, and you'll never understand God uh, in his fullness because he is so much greater than anything that we can think of. And so God's word is something that we need to spend time in every day. Somebody say amen. amen. The Bible says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart. Now, a rampart is just kind of a lookout. Maybe put in your mind an old castle Um, it's kind of the lookout space, the lookout place. It's a high elevated place where you can see all the way around you. And Habakkuk says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and I will watch to see what he will say to me, speaking of God, and what I will answer when I am corrected. Then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that they may run who they may run with it, who reads it. For the vision is yet for a point in time. Somebody say, not yet. Somebody say, but it's coming. Not quite yet, but it's coming. And so the vision is yet for a point in time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie, though it tarries. Wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold, the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. I want you to realize this, and whenever it comes to vision, and this is the vision chapter, come on, um, speaks about a lot of vision, but whenever it comes to vision, anything that takes longer than what it was expected to take is usually better than what you planned for it to be. Anything that takes longer than what you expect it to take is going to be bigger and greater than what you planned for it to be. I want to ask a question just here real quick. How many of you um, have forgotten how old you are? Who here has forgotten how old you, you are? Like literally, like I have literally, I'm, I'm turning 52 in a couple of days, and, and the answer to your question is chocolate cake and chocolate frosting. Or I like white cake and white frosting. Like either, either one is just fine. I mean, just like whatever, you know what I'm saying? Beggars can't be choosers type of a deal. But just to answer your question, but this is the deal. When I was 51, I spent the whole year thinking I was 50. And, and, and I was absolutely shocked whenever I realized that I was, that I was 51. And so that's one way that, that you can come to a place of realization that you're, you're older than what you really are. And um, another way is this, like who here, come on, you've been looking around and you're like, man, that guy is not getting around very good. Man, that person seems really, really old. And then you find out that they're a year younger than you are. Has that ever 
has, has that ever happened, dude? That's terrible because I don't see myself like I see that person, whoever that person is. And so, so I want you to realize that, um, that you can be old and not really realize that you're old. How many of you remember the Walkman? How many of you owned a Walkman? There it is. There it is. You're old. You are old. How many of you remember car cigarette lighters? How many of you ever burnt your finger on a car cigarette lighter and you had those little circles? You burnt yourself so bad, they're still there. Those circles are still, are still there. You are old. How many of you remember mixed tapes? Come on. I w <laughs> I'm just telling you what, man. I was the master of the mixed tape. I would call it like Love Songs by Travis. And then I would hand, uh, literally, I'm telling you, I would, I married girls on the playground and I handed out love songs by Travis to all the pretty girls, not just like one of them or two of them, but uh, love songs in the 70s and 80s. If you remember mixed tape and you remember how to record over a tape just by plugging the holes or putting tape on, I just want you to know that you're old. And if you don't know anything that I'm speaking of today, then you are young. And so enjoy that. How many of you ladies, I'm talking to the ladies. I don't want to know if the men say yes to this, but I want to talk to the ladies real quick. Like how many of you ladies remember playing with Cabbage Patch dolls, Cabbage Patch kids? Anybody? How many of you ladies remember, this was way later, but it's down the road, but Beanie Babies, remember Beanie Babies? How many of you still have a Cabbage Patch Kid that is in pristine condition? I want to talk to you because that thing's worth a lot of money today. It's worth a bunch of money today. And, um, and, and Beanie Babies, come on, remember when that was the craze? Man, I, I bought my kids so many Beanie Babies, and then I realized later they were valuable and they were trashed. Every one of them were absolutely, absolutely trashed. But I want you to know that if you remember those things, you're old. You are old. You're an old person. You're probably on your way out. <laughs> probably. It was good knowing you. God bless you. Okay, how many of you remember, come on, a real map that you had in your jockey box? First of all, how many of you remember calling a jockey box a jockey box? How many know what a jockey box is? How many have no clue what a jockey box is? You're here and you're like, I have no idea what you're, you're talking. Jockey box. If you don't know what I'm talking about, raise your hand. I really want to know. <laughs> right here, man. I saw you. You were like, I, no, I'm going to act like I know what's up. So a jockey box is what we call today a glove box. And um, what's that? A glove compartment. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I stand corrected. A glove compartment. Still a jockey box to me. And if you didn't have a lot of time, you could say, hey, get that map out of the jockey. See, some people know what you're talking about. Other people, they don't. So if you know what a real map is because you used it to get from one point to a different point, and that was the only way that you were going to get there, then you're old. 
And I want you to know this, that a map, a real map, like we used to have to take a map out and you would put it either across the passenger side or up on the dash or it's so big, the, the trip was so long that you had to get out on the hood of your car and spread that map out. And then with a pen and a piece of paper, you would either trace out the route or you would just start writing your own directions and instructions, much like MapQuest. Who remembers MapQuest? That was a long time ago, right? And so, you know, you go 32 miles, 52 miles, take a right. You know, go another 100 miles, take a, take a left. And then all of the sudden, come on, you are going to arrive at your destination. And I'm just saying this, that if you're here today, we're talking about greatness. If you want a better marriage and you want better, you know, stronger finances and you want better relationships and you want your kids, you know what I mean, to, to grow up better than how you grew up. I'm just saying this, that oftentimes we have these desires, but we don't look far enough into the future. In fact, oftentimes what I would say is, is that, that, that sometimes we just play it by ear and we hope that we're going to arrive at great faith. We hope that we're going to arrive at great families. We hope that we're going to arrive at a purpose-filled life. And the problem is, is that we just kind of make it up as we go. We don't really look at what we need to do to get to the destination to where we want to end up. And just like back in the old days, men, we don't do a very good job of asking directions. Can I just tell you this, that it's okay if you're struggling in your marriage right now, it's okay to ask for some direction. It's okay to get the help that you need, right? If you've got an addiction, you don't want to do what it is that you find yourself doing. It's okay for you to say, you know what? I'm not all right. I'm a work in progress. I got some things that I'm working on and I need some direction. I need some help because every single thing that I'm trying, it's not working. This is why I'm excited, really, really excited about the men's advance that's coming up. Men, I encourage you, figure out a way to get there. You know what I mean? Figure out a way to get the time off work. Spend some time with some other men because we need one another. Amen? All right. Proverbs 29, 18 says this. People do not accept divine guidance. People that do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. But whoever obeys the law is joyful. See, when people cannot see what it is that God is doing, they oftentimes will stumble through life. I don't know if you've done this recently, but, but maybe you've traveled and, and you're staying at some distant relatives in a strange place and, and you got to get up in the middle of the night, like it's the, the accommodations are great, but you got to get up in the, in the middle of the night and use the restroom. Well, when you're at your home, right? When you're at your home, you just get up. No lights need to be turned on. You just go and you, you know how many steps and then you take a right and, and then you're at, the, you're at the, the commode or the toilet, whatever you want to call it. You handle yourself and, and then you go back to, to bed and, and you just continue sleeping, right? You just have a great night. But when, you, when you're in a different place, man, it's totally different. The light's pitch black out. You get out of bed. First of all, you're like, okay, all right. And you get up. And I don't know about you, but I look like that 92-year-old man. You know what I'm saying? Number one, because I got to warm up a little bit before. But I'm afraid to stub my toe on something that I don't or am not familiar with. 
You understand? And so, so when we don't know the divine direction of God, then what happens is we find ourselves stumbling through, tripping through life. The Bible says, write the vision, make it plain, write it on tablets so that those who read it can run with it. When I, when I read this passage of scripture, you know what it does? It speaks confidence to me. This is somebody that the vision is so plain and it's written so easily that they can run that vision confidently. Many of you know that I've done this twice now. I've, 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 uh, I've ran an ultra half marathon um, up in the South Hills, incredible. Did it a few years back with my son and it's uh, right around 15 miles. Did it with my son and my sister the first time. And my son and I, we got behind a pack of people like they knew what they were doing. And you're running literally in the mountains, like in the mountains on these goat trail type things. And they've got these directions marked out by ribbon. And these people look like this wasn't their first race. It definitely looked like it was mine. And so I just started following the pack. And my son and I, we followed this group of four or five people. And then they stop in the middle of the trail and they say, I think we missed it. I said, think we missed what? <laughs> they said, I think we missed it. I said, what did we miss? I think we missed the turn. And I was like, this is not good. They said, oh, it's back. It's got to be back that way. So we're running back, not realizing if we had missed it or hadn't missed it. But there was no ribbon. And then all of a sudden we get to the point where we were supposed to turn and we didn't turn which meant that we ran an additional half mile out of the way. And that means if you go a half mile out, you got to come a half mile back. I ran an additional almost mile above and beyond what I was dreading to do in the first place. <laughs> and so a few years later, a couple years later, my wife and I and my daughter Ashley and my sister... Let's do that race again. See, give it some time. You forget how terrible it was. Let's do that race again. And I'm just telling you that the second time that we, I ran the race, I ran it slower than the first time. And I believe that part of it is, not all of it, I was just less in, I wasn't in as good a shape the second time. But part of it was is because I had lost confidence. I lost confidence. I do not want to miss another turn. I may not make it. And so what this does, when you write it on tablets and you make it clear and you're, it, it's easy for other people to follow, it allows them to run that race with confidence. Habakkuk in chapter 2, I think it's interesting, he doesn't start with the vision. He doesn't start with the vision board and, and pasting the things that you want to do and achieve in life. No, he doesn't start there. Where he starts, he said, I will stand my watch. I'm going to get to the high place where I can see. He gets to the high place to where he can see before he even begins to deal with the vision I can see what he, God, will say to me, and then I will answer when I'm corrected. See, Habakkuk is what we call one of the minor prophets. Not going into what separates minor and major prophets, I want you to know that the minor prophets, in my opinion, tend to be the woe are me prophets. They're always dressing up in sackcloth and throwing ashes on themselves, and they're laying on their side for periods of time, weeping and crying over 
over the people. And, and, and it's just kind of like the woe is me prophets. And so these people did know how to hear from God. Like they knew how to get into a place where they could hear God's instruction and direction. But I think they had problems with basic anatomy. Why do they have problems with basic anatomy? Let me read it to you. I'm going to get myself in the high place and see what he says. Hmm. I'm going to see what God says. Shouldn't you hear what God says and see what God is doing? See, you hear words and you see pictures, you see images. See, many people want their faith to grow. They want to have a better family. They want their kids to be and have more and to be more disciplined than what maybe, maybe you were, right? They, we want them to mature. We want our kids to start off on our shoulders. And we want to have better marriages than our, maybe our moms and dads had. And we want to have better jobs than what, what it is that we have now. And, the, and our solution to this is literally to go to the Lord and we ask God, speak to me. God, here I am. I've positioned myself however you position yourself. It doesn't matter. Lay down, stand up. God, speak to me. Here I am. Here I am. I'm listening. But Habakkuk's approach is this. He will speak to you through what it is that you see. And this can be confusing until you look at other areas in the Bible where God speaks to us in and through what we see. Do you remember Abraham? He's in the tent and he's, he's kind of complaining. He's, he's contemplating things. And, and he's saying, listen, man, you know, I've, I've built all of this and I've got this inheritance that I'm going to pass on, but I don't have any children and I'm old and my wife is old, but I do have a servant that's been so faithful to me for so long and he's been loyal and he's never worked against me. He's always been there faithful. Maybe I will pass on my inheritance to my servant. It's really not Perfect. I would love somebody to be able to take on my name and this and that. And so he's complaining. And the Bible says that God came down into his mess. And I want you to realize this, that God will come down before he brings you up. I'm thankful that Jesus didn't say, listen, I want you to get your act together. I want you to stop sinning. I see what you're doing that you know you shouldn't be doing. And I want you to know this, that I love you so much, but you need to get your stuff picked up, cleaned up, get your act together, and then I'll come down, and then I'll pull you out of that place. No, no, no. He meets us right in our mess. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. Amen. He meets you in your mess. He comes down, and then he takes you out from that place. And so God's listening to Abraham and and, you know, kind of a woe is me moment as well. And God comes down into his mess and he steps into the situation. And, um, and, and he begins to encourage Abraham. But how did Abraham respond? He continued to give excuses. So in Genesis chapter 15, God takes him outside of the tent. Somebody say outside of the tent. And he says, I want you to look up into the heavens, the expanse of the skies. And Abraham, I want you to count the stars. Now, what I, what I do not know, and I, I think I know, but I, I don't think that Abraham said, okay, there's one and there's two and there's three. Like Abraham's pretty smart guy. He probably realized 
that there's no possible way that I'm going to be able to count all of the skies that are, or all of the stars that are up in the sky. How many of you know that there's stars out there that you can't even see? And so he's probably like, God, oh, that's impossible. And then God does something amazing. He says, listen, so shall your descendants be. And so he says, listen, I'm giving you a vision for your life, not necessarily by what you hear, but I'm giving you a vision for your life by what it is that you see. So God spoke through what he had seen. Now listen, this is gonna seem pretty carnal and I'll get really spiritual maybe another day. But I want you just to kind of just go with me here. I want you to realize number one is this, look around and find what catches your attention. When you're talking about a God-sized vision for your life, look around and see what it is that you're attracted to. I know this is not super spiritual and you're like, man, what a waste of my Sunday coming here today. But what is it that you're drawn to? What is it that, 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 that catches your eye? And I'm just believing that what it is that catches your eye, God is able to make part of your vision. If you want greater faith, if, 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 if you want to be just more strong in your faith, then I would encourage you to look around and find somebody that has the kind of great faith that you have. And then begin to ask the question, man, I wonder how they, how they build their life. What do they do when they first get up in the morning? How do they live their day? What, what are they doing that I'm not doing? What life experiences have they been through that, that they have learned some things because of those life experiences? How do they end their day? How do, they, how do they, they spend their family time? Come on, you can observe somebody that has what it is that you want. You can observe what they do, and it's very possible that it'll work just that way for you or somewhat like that way. See, you gotta step outside your tent, and your tent is your comfort zone. Your tent is how it is that your family raised you. Your tent is your culture. Your tent is your church that you spent half of your life going to. And I'm just saying this, that sometimes you've got to experience something different than what it is that you've experienced to get different results. Are you willing to get outside of your tent? Because most people will not step outside to see something that they've never seen before. Most people, this is how they, they're like, no, no, no. I know it's not perfect, but it's good enough. And oh, by the way, just kind of look around. You know what I mean? I'm doing better than what most of the people, come on, that, 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 I, that I share life with. And so what we do is we, we don't live a life of great greatness. We live a life of settling. We live a life of good enough. And so if you're not willing to see something new, you're never going to experience something new. This is my first pastorate here in Rupert, Idaho. I'd never pastored a church before. Many of you know that. I've been in youth ministry and sit, sat up underneath some incredible people. And so I served a lot in the church that, that I knew that I was, that I, that I, you know what I mean? They did things a certain way. And so I was, I was involved in pretty much every aspect of the workings of the church. But when I came to Rupert, I didn't come with a limited mind thinking that my experiences were the only way to glorify God. 
Like I was grateful for the foundation, the experiences that I've been a part of. But I want you to know this. One of the first things that I did is I went around to all the different churches and I met the pastors and I, and I was observant to how it is that they were that they were that they were serving people and serving God and reaching people and loving God. I've also been this way every single place that I've traveled in the nation. If I'm on vacation, you can bet that I'm going to find a church and if the pastor's there, I'm going to ask him one question and the question is going to be this. Will you give me a tour of the building? Because I love the local church and I'll ask questions as to how they do what it is that they do. See, I wasn't smart, but I was smart enough to know that there are many ways to glorify God beyond the ways that I already knew. And I'm telling you this, we might get a come on and we might get a head shake and we might get an amen, but the truth is, most people stay within what it is that they were taught. And I'm just telling you this. This isn't a slide on mom and dad and whatnot. But some people may, may have been raised in a way that is contrary to what it is that God's word says. And so at the end of the day, do we just say, man, this is what I was raised in. This is what I was taught. Or do we say God's way rules and reigns and his word is right? Amen. And so most people will not challenge why it is that they even believe what it is that they believe or do what it is that they do. Most won't look outside because they're too busy convincing everybody else that they know more than what they know. And my friend, my brother and my sister, this is no more than pride. This is pride. We've never done it that way before. I've never, I've never experienced that before. And this is the power of exposure because to get what you don't have, you've got to, you have got to admit that you don't have it. And people don't do that well. I'm grateful for the different places. We've been to Houston as our staff. I remember when Tina and I just moved here, we just continued going to conferences. And then when our staff grew, we take them to conferences. And when our staff grew, we're sending people all over the place for exposure so that we can see things differently than what we see them here in Rupert, Idaho. And I am grateful for exposure. Man, I am Pentecostal by nature. I was born Pentecostal. I was raised Pentecostal. I believe in the full gospel but can I tell you this? I have learned from Baptists. I've learned from Methodists. I've learned from Lutheran. I've learned from non-believers. I've learned from so many different people. Scratch the non-believer from this section, but so many, I've learned from so many different people on how come on to, to reach the loss for Jesus. I'm not limiting myself to what it is that I've personally experience and I'm challenging you to not get stuck in that space in that place man I've preached at white churches I've preached at black churches I've preached at Mexican churches I've preached in Cuban churches I've preached in Nicaraguan churches I've preached in Ugandan churches I've preached to all different kinds of people and can I tell you this that there's not one 
culture and there's not one denomination that has the corner market on how to reach people. But if you are, if you're smart, you'll realize that different people groups, they have passions that might be a little bit different than yours. Baptists, they might have an approach that this is the most important thing. Pentecostals, they're kind of all over the place there. This might be important. Methodists, man, this here. But this is the deal. If something is a number one on somebody else's radar, it might be just important enough for you to take a look at. Amen? I can tell you this. You can see it in the music, man. Is there a vein that black people stay in whenever or focus more on whenever it comes to music? Is there a vein that Latinos focus more on whenever it comes to music? Is there a vein that white people focus on whenever it comes to music? Is it possible that whatever that vein is, like we can learn because it shows us something about God that maybe we're not seeing because we're not willing to get outside of the tent that we've gotten so comfortable in. I love preaching at black churches because even when I'm not doing good, they make you feel like you're doing amazing. I'm like, can you guys just come with me back to Idaho? Absolutely love it. How does this apply, man? God says to Abraham, I'm trying to show you something that you've never seen before, but you got to get outside your tent. I'm just going to give you an example too. I ain't got much time, but I, gotta, I just got to hit this, right? How does this apply to where you are? Let's just say you own a restaurant here in Rupert or Burley. If you're just like, you know what I mean? Mom had a restaurant. Grandpa had a restaurant. We just, got, we just got restaurants in our family. Like if you are limiting yourself to what you know, you're making a huge mistake. Let me tell you what I would do if I owned a restaurant. If I owned a restaurant, what I would be doing is I would be asking all the people that I know that go to restaurants on the regular basis, hey, when you go to Twin, what restaurant? Just give me two restaurants. He's, oh, that's easy, man. I'll give you one restaurant that I'm going to go to because... If I go anyplace else, I'm afraid it's not going to be as good as this restaurant. So when I go to Twin or I go to Salt Lake or I go to Boise or if I go down to Houston or I go to Dallas or I go to, you know, St. Louis, it doesn't matter, man. Wherever I go, I'm going to go to this restaurant. Why are you going to go to that restaurant? Because of, and then they'll give you a list of things that separates that restaurant from every single, every other single restaurant that's available out there. And if you are a restaurant owner in Rupert, Idaho, or Burley, Idaho, I'm telling you, it would behoove you. You would be doing yourself a justice by saying, you know what, maybe we can't be exactly like that because we ain't got the budget for it. But maybe we can up our service. Maybe we can up our meal plan. Maybe instead of doing 72 things on the menu and doing them all okay, what if I did 10 things and did them excellent? What is it that's causing these people to go to these restaurants? I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to do it here in Rupert. If you think that that's not going to bless you and benefit you, 
you're wrong because it will. See, I can tell you this, a lot of people that come into Grace Church and they think, man, oh man, this is a great church, got a good vision, it's clean, got a spirit of excellence, things like that. Can I just tell you that most of the things that we do here, we've seen someplace else. Oh, I can already sense it, I can sense it. Somebody's saying, well, that's not vision, that's not a God-sized vision, I can't believe. You mean you were, you're just a carbon copy. You're a carbon copy of what somebody else is doing elsewhere. Why be a carbon copy when you can be original? That's what a lot of people's approach are. But can I tell you this, that there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. So what do you do? What are you attracted to? What gets your attention? What gets your eye? How do you deal with that? Well, we're gonna talk. The Bible says, watch and see what they will say to me. I'm gonna watch and see what they will say to me and what I will answer when I'm corrected. So all of the experiences, come on, all of the exposure, all of the cultures, we may say, man, I can't do that because I don't have the budget for it. I don't have the skill level to preach like that. I can't play like that. I can't sing like that. But what we do is we take the exposure and we take it, we take the attraction back to God and we say, God, in and through prayer, this is the vision. I'm asking you to correct the vision. And so what God will do is he'll maybe scrap the whole thing or he'll say, listen, man, you can do this, this, and this. How many of you know that a friendly church is a good church, right? How many of you know a clean church is a good church? How many of you know a, a church that preaches the word of God is a good church? How many of you know, know that, that worship is a good church, a church that worships is a good church, right? How many of you know that a church that serves is a good church? I'm asking you this, does every single church that you've ever been to fit into those categories? Even this one, not every one of them. So there are better ways to do things. And so we see what is working maybe someplace else, something we're attracted to. We take it to God in prayer and we say, correct the vision. And then we take what we can take, what we're supposed to take, those things that are forming. And so how do you do this? Number one, there's two ways. You do this through God's word. Once again, if your vision that you've been given from your parents differs than that of the Bible, then the Bible reigns true. You got to run it through scripture and then also do it through prayer. Number two is this. You have to know what you're looking for. Habakkuk 2.2, 2, the Lord said, write the vision, make it plain, put it on tablets that those who read it might be able to run with it. So make it plain, make it simple, make it easy for people to follow. Our tagline here at Grace Church is believe, belong, and serve. Doesn't get much easier than that. Our goal, our ambition, our call, our vision is for you to believe with other people, come on, that are going the same direction that you're going. You're, you're supposed to belong. We believe in community. It's why we do small groups. We encourage people to share life together and to serve. You're gonna feel weird after a long time being at this church and you're, and you're just not serving anywhere. You're gonna feel off because it's important to us. And so the final destination I want you to realize also is not the vision. People say, man, I want a vision for my life. Oh yeah, what's that vision? I want a great marriage. I wanna know the Bible so well. See, that's not the vision. 
The vision is the destination, or that's the destination. The vision is how you're going to get to the destination. It's the same thing with a map, right? I want to go to New York City. So you pull out your map. You're like, man, I'm going to have to take this. I'm going to have to take a right. I'm going to go to this state. I got to cross over. See, the vision is the map. It's the step-by-step It's how you're going to get to where it is that you want to go. And if you think that you just got dreams and desires and God's given you a destination, it's like, yes, this is what I'm called to do, but you're not going to work it. For you to get there would be nothing short of a miracle. You got to get up and you got to work the vision. You got to follow the instruction. You got to, you got to read the map, right? Are we okay? I'm speeding up. I'm going real fast. I'm going to get you out of here real soon. Quit thinking about food right now. Everybody just right there, you just started thinking about what you're, going to, what you're going to eat. I can't give you the details of what your life is going to be like, but I can promise you this, that it's going to be filled. If you're going to complete your vision, your life is going to be filled with sacrifices. You're going to have to sacrifice. That means lose something or give something that you do not want to lose or give. And it's going to be filled with strategic nose. N-O, apostrophe S, nose. God's going to say, nope. Nope, God, I want to do this. I saw this at this other place. Nope. But they're also going to be sprinkled yeses in and through that as well. So what is your next step? Do you know what your next step is? Number three, you got to run with it. Running requires endurance. I'm telling you this, every single time that I hit the pavement, it hurts. I sit on the couch, get up just to walk to the fridge. If I've sat down for too long, it hurts. My knees are like screaming, got to warm up. You know what I mean? So sometimes I'll just, even before I get up, I'll start doing ankle rolls and things like that, you know. But I remember we used to run a lot in the Marine Corps. Go out, run eight, 10 miles, but all the time we ran three miles. And that's what I run right now, all the time, three miles, three or four times a week. Go out and do three miles. But I remember whenever I couldn't do three miles, and I said, listen, three miles without stopping is what I'm saying, without, without walking. It's just jog continuous for three miles. And I remember saying, man, I'm going to go out and run three miles. And I made it about a quarter of a mile, and I stopped and walked, and then jogged for about another quarter mile and stopped and walked. How many of you know you got to build up to the endurance, Right? You got to condition yourself. And then I'm just telling you this, like I could right now, even in the clothes that I'm wearing, I could go out and I could run three miles on my head. I could just do it because I've done it enough that it might not be fast and it might not be fun, but it's going to get done, right? That's a shirt. Might not be fast, might not be fun, but it's going to get done. Somebody write that down. That's a good one. That's a good shirt right there. So it might not be fast and it might not be fun, but it's going to get done. And I can tell you this, that that is absolutely the truth. But ask me to run three and a half miles. It feels like my right lung explodes every time. But it's only a half a mile farther than the three miles that you run all the time. Why is it so much more difficult? Because you haven't been there as as much as as you've been other places, like three miles. In the Old Testament, there were no phones, there was no text messaging, there was no emails. Come on, they had professional runners. Imagine this, you're a general on a battlefield and your, your army is being overtaken by the enemy army. And you've got to send a runner. Like, listen, I'm not going to send Travis 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send the fastest runner in here to run a message back to the king. And it needs to be clear. It needs to be written down so that they can easily follow it. They're going to send a message back to the king. Send reinforcements now, immediately. We're being overtaken, right? And so, come on. The Bible goes on to say in verse 3, for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie, though it tarries. It's coming, but it might take a while. Sometimes people get a vision from God and they get the vision today and they want it to be fulfilled tomorrow. And I'm just saying it doesn't work like that. Matter of fact, if you start working the vision today, it might be five years from now. Mm, kind of like a college diploma. Man, I got this great vision. I want to be this doctor or lawyer or business owner or whatever it is that you want to do. You go to college. Come on, are you successful? A little bit. You completed something, but are you successful as far as your vision and your dream goes whenever you get the diploma? No, you're at, the, you're at ground zero. Now you got to get some money. You got to invest it. You got you to put a business plan together. You got to get some clients. You got you to get your word out. You got to advertise. You got to do, you know, continuing education. Come on, it might be another five years before you say, wow, 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 this thing is really starting to pay now. So you get a goal, a dream, and a vision. And the problem is, is we want everything tomorrow. And it might take a lifetime. In fact, I'll tell you this, that greatness is not greatness in a day, but it's greatness over a lifetime. I'm going to wrap it up and close it down because I'm already over. Somebody say amen. amen. Somebody say amen, pastor. How many of you, how many of you received something already today? Okay, good. Then I'm happy. So listen, I'm going to close with the apostle Paul, the apostle Paul standing before the king Agrippa and, um, and he's at the end of his ministry and and uh, didn't maybe quite know it, but at the end of his life. And the king's kind of approach is, 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 is in, when I read it, it's much like this, like, like most kings. Do you realize that, that, that I hold your life in my hands? You realize that how you, how you work through these next few moments, like I could kill you or I could let you live. So the apostle Paul is sharing before the king. He's like, listen, this is what Jesus has done. And this was my experience with Jesus. And now I'm, you know, I'm called to, to minister and to share the gospel. And the apostle Paul, when he's talking to the king in Acts chapter 26 and verse 19, this is what he says to him. He says, therefore, king, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision for my life. I wasn't disobedient to what it is that the Lord called me to do. And I'm just saying, I think it's interesting that the apostle Paul wasn't begging for his life. He was on trial, which ended up in him losing his head, right? He's on trial and here he is standing before a king. He wasn't saying, please have mercy on me. Please don't take my life. Please, please, I'll do whatever you say. No, he's telling Come on, what God had done in his life, in his own personal experience, talking about Jesus. And then he says this to the king with full confidence. Therefore, king, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision for my life. What he was saying is this. The king's like, Paul, how do you explain yourself? Well, 
I stayed true to what it is that I was called to do. And I trust God with the rest. I stayed true to what it is that God called me to do. I had a vision for my life. I walked by faith and not by sight. I do what God's called me to do and I trust God with the rest. I'm telling you folks, listen, and, and I'm not playing on this, but we live very, in very interesting times. There's a lot going on with Russia and Ukraine. We need to be praying for them. We need to be praying for Israel, right? We know people that are in Israel right now that, uh, that who knows how things are, are going for them. But we need to pray for Israel. We need to pray for Palestine. How many of you know that God loves people? God loves people. And it's unfortunate, but oftentimes in turmoil and tragedy, oftentimes in loss is whenever people come to a place of repentance and say, God, we've been pursuing many things. We need to pursue you. So I believe wholeheartedly that, um, that the times that we're in are interesting. But I also believe that we are a faith people and we should never be moved by fear. Who knows how things are gonna shake out in the world that we live in? The only way a person isn't fearful and afraid is if they have faith in Jesus even unto death. Like if, if, you, if you love your life so much that that you're not willing to lose it or you just do everything you can to, to protect it instead of just having faith and trust in God and being about his business, then yeah, fear is, is, can be so, so overwhelming. But I believe wholeheartedly that the times that we're in are interesting and I believe good is gonna come out of this situation, but we need to stand in the gap, right? We need to intercede for Israel. Matter of fact, you should honestly be interceding for not just Israel, but Israel all the time and just people in general. But I, I, I want you, I'm just gonna say something that might even correct or check you just real quick. Pray for Palestine too. Sometimes it's interesting when you have conversations with people, you can, you can forget a whole people group when God says this, I've come that you all may have life, that none would perish, amen? How many of you know that, that God can do a great thing in, in anybody's life? So let's pray, but this is the deal. What, what I'm getting at is like with the times, and I'm not using this to play on emotions, but it's just the truth. First of all, you don't know if you're gonna live throughout the rest of the day. And that's just the truth. The reason why I know that's the truth is because I feel like God has given me a funeral ministry. I have done so many funerals in my, in my life. And when you do a lot of funerals, you realize that it's a blessing, like it's a gift that tomorrow's not promised to any of us. I've had some near-death experiences myself, which just reinforced that tomorrow's not promised to any of us. And I'm not afraid, whenever it's that time, I'm not afraid to cross over at all. There is not an ounce, God be my witness at all. I am not afraid to go when it's my time to go. I, I don't consider it. I don't, you know, I mean, I think about it from time to time, but there's no fear, there's no worry. 
How can that be? It can be, and I don't, and I'm not perfect. Like, like I, I'm, I make mistakes. I sin. I should be farther along than, than I am. But I'm telling you what, I know and believe and experience the love and the grace of God on the regular. Like I know who I belong to and I know that he is not a liar, that he is true. So when it's my time, there's nothing that I can do to extend it and there's nothing that I can do to, well, I could shorten it, that would be dumb, but. You better know him, church. Like you better know him. The times that we're in are real amazing times. And I think it's exciting to to be alive and well during this time. But if you don't know him, I wanna be clear. Lean into me just real quick. If you don't know him and he comes back, you will have no part with him. There's no purgatory. Somebody's not going to be able to get baptized on your behalf and and move you from a holding place into, into heaven. If you deny him before people, he will deny you before the before the father. He's a just God, but 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 he is uh, he's not forceful. He's not going to force you to be a place that you don't want to be. And so if you are in a place when he returns that that is outside of a relationship with him, you will not go to heaven and you will not spend eternity with a God that you spent the entire life denying. And if you die today or tomorrow or 10 years from now or 50 years from now, and you don't serve him and you don't love him and you don't ask him to forgive you of your sins and and you don't die out to yourself, then you will not have a place with him in heaven. I wanna be so clear this morning, not everybody goes to heaven. His desire is, is that we would, and he's given us every opportunity. He has given us a gift that the only way that you're not gonna go to heaven is to deny the gift. And God's not a mean God. How can a good God send people to hell? He doesn't send you to hell. You're going to hell before any of that happens. You're going to hell from day one because of the fall and the sin of man. You have to come to this place of receiving the wonderful gift of salvation, the wonderful gift of life, that he is extending to us all. And I'm just asking you, if you don't know him and you want to know him, today I would love to pray for you. I just want to have you slip a hand in the air. You can put it right back down or you can be bold and say, I want to know him. First service, man, right here. So good. We had a salvation first service. We got a chance to pray just in this service here. So amazing. Is there anybody else that just wants to receive the love and grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ this morning? Up top. Up top. I'm so sorry. I, where? Are, oh, there you are, right here. I see you. The light shining. I love. And you know what I love about you, ladies, is boldness that you've got. I want to receive the Lord.
Amen. Where up? Other side is, oh, right here, all the way up. There's something happening in the corners. This is good. Thank you, ma'am. So good. So everybody stand on your feet. We're going to pray and then we're going to worship. Listen, for those of you that raised your hand, just make this prayer personal. It seems so simple and so easy. Can it be that powerful? The answer is yes. Lord, right now we come to you. We thank you, Lord, for loving us so well. That while we were yet sinners, while we're sinners, Lord, you sent your son. God, you sent your son to die for us. And today, we just say thank you. And we say thank you by receiving the gift of salvation, the gift of life right now. Matter of fact, just say that to yourself. I receive you, Jesus. The Bible says that he died on a cross. He was perfect, died on a cross, was buried in a tomb, rose again on the third day. Now sits at the right hand of the Father. Thank you, Lord, for dying for me. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I ask you to come into my life and fill me with your Holy Spirit. And it's not about just receiving. It's also about giving. Out of the grateful heart that I have, Lord, I just want you to know that I want to ministry. I want a vision for my life. I want something, God, to where I can glorify you and I can help to reach other people and serve other people and love other people. And I ask you, Lord, that you will just give me a God-sized vision for whatever it is that that looks like. And I also just want to say, Lord, that my life no longer belongs to me, but it belongs to you. It's yours. Fill my life with your dream and your vision. God, give me some insight as to why I was created and the purpose by which I was created for. I love you, Lord, and I thank you for saving me this day. Continue to help me to grow in you, to trust in you, to believe in you. Increase my faith and use me. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody in the house said, amen. That's it for today's teaching. Hey, here's an idea. Share today's message with a friend or family member. If you're listening from outside our fellowship, we'd love to meet you. Visit graceid.org and hit the contact form to get in touch. We'd also love for you to join us. You can even check us out on Facebook Live by searching Facebook for Grace Church Rupert ID. Learn more and plug in at graceid.org. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Grace Community Church.